I'm going to read to you the first five verses, and then I want to read to you verses 10 and 11. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourselves, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And then in verse 10, And God said to him, So God is reminding Jacob, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. So God commanded Jacob to arise, to go up to Bethel, to dwell there, and to make an altar. And Jacob commanded his household in three ways. He commanded his household to put away the foreign gods, to purify themselves, and to put on new clothes. And this was all preparation to go up to the house of God and to worship God. Father, we pray that today you would open our hearts and open our minds. God, deliver us from blindness, deliver us from our deafness. Give, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are soft and pliable and able to receive the good seed of your word. And we pray, God, that you would bring a harvest of righteousness, some 60, some 100 fold. And you would do this, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jacob was commanded by God to go up, go to Bethel, arise, go up, dwell there, make an altar. In other words, he said, go to Bethel and worship me. Now, I want you to understand something, that this was not a call to an event. This was, not, this was a call to a lifestyle. Jacob was not called to just go and conduct an event, build an altar and worship me. Jacob was being called to a lifestyle. And so when we come here on Sunday mornings, this is not just an, about an event that we call a worship service. When you come here on Sunday morning, this is about a lifestyle. You're coming here and you're worshiping is about lifestyle. Us going next door and breaking bread together and fellowshipping together, that's a lifestyle. 
when we come together, whether it's for book club on Friday night or whether it's to come here on Wednesday night, we meet next door and we eat together and we sing together and we discuss the word of God together. That's not about an event. That's about a lifestyle, how you conduct yourself when you leave here, when you get up on Monday morning and you go to work, how you interact with your family, how you interact with your friends, how you interact with your enemies. This is about a lifestyle. We're called to a lifestyle, not a series of religious events. And so Jacob obeyed God. He went up to Bethel. He built an altar and he worshiped. And God appeared to Jacob again. And God reminded him that he is no longer Jacob, but he is Israel. And Jacob was given a new name. And with that new name, he was given a new identity. We don't receive a new name and not receive a new identity. The purpose of receiving a new name is that we receive a new identity. God wanted Jacob to know that he was no longer Jacob, but he was Israel. He wrestled with God and he prevailed. He wrestled with God. He was going to not just wrestle with God, but he was going to rule with God. And God wanted Jacob to understand that this new name signified a new identity, that he was to become a different man. And this is exactly what Jesus commands us. So like Jacob was commanded, Christ commands us to arise and to go therefore. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is what we commonly call the Great Commission. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Do you know what authority that is? That is the supreme authority. I don't care what the Supreme Court or the state or the city or our nation or the United Nations or any other governing authority at any other earthly level. It does not matter what they say. They cannot supersede the authority that is supreme and that is God's supreme authority. And so Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, all Not some, not most, but all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth that covers every place. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I want you to notice the word go. The word baptize and the word teach, those are actions that we are commanded to. And so Jesus commands us to worship and to go and make worshipers. Do you see that? That's what a disciple is. A disciple is a worshiper. And if you are a disciple of Jesus, and I'm going to assume that you count yourself a disciple of Jesus because you're here today. If you're a disciple of Jesus, that means you're a worshiper of Jesus. And if you're a worshiper of Jesus, what he has commanded you to do is go and make worshipers. Jesus calls us to put away our idols, to purify ourselves, and to put on the new clothes of worship and discipleship. 
Jesus calls us out of the old and into a new life with a new lifestyle and a new identity. He gives us his name and commands us to arise and to go in his life to make known his name and his ways to the world. And we do this for his glory. God puts people in and around our life and commands us to go and make disciples. That means we are to disciple those around us that God has given us influence with. Parents, you have no greater influence than, your, than with your children. So we have influence with those that God has put in and around our lives, whether that be our children, our family, our friends, our neighbors, or even strangers. The world is making disciples and they are using every means available to corrupt and to destroy the worship of the true and living God. Do you understand that's what the world system wants to do? It wants to destroy the very worship of God. And it's using every means possible to do that. So we are constantly drawn away with our eyes, with our ears. We give place to the things that we choose to look at. We sit in front of computer screens and we fill our minds and our eyes with all kinds of images. We sit in front of televisions. We go to the movies. I do all of that. I go to movies. I watch TV. I spend a lot of time on the computer. So I'm not saying it's bad to do those things. I'm going to go next door in about 35, 40 minutes and I'm going to eat some food. Eating's not bad, but what you eat can be bad. Watching things is not bad, but what you watch, that could be bad. Listening to things is not bad, but what you listen to could be a bad thing. Giving yourself to things is not necessarily bad, but what and who you give yourself to, that is not necessarily a good thing. So we need to guard what it is we watch, what it is we hear, what it is we give ourselves to. We need to guard what we put into ourselves because what we put in is going to determine what comes out. Jesus said this, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You spend your time filling your life with junk, guess what's going to come out? Junk's going to come out. That's going to be the fruit of your life. So the world is constantly discipling, making disciples And we need to be aware of that. And the enemy wants to use those things to destroy our faith and to destroy the worship of God. We need to be aware of that. And the world has become so effective at this that even some who profess to be followers of Jesus have embraced the world and the ways of the world. The world has become so good at calling good evil and evil good that even those who profess faith in Christ have come to believe that what is good is actually evil and what is evil is actually good. Where do we sort all of this out? We go back to the word of God. This is where we sort it out. So the command to make disciples is a command to call people out of their sin. It's a command to call people out of their sin 
But before we do that, we need to we need to get some things in order. We need to understand some things. And so the command to go and make disciples, do you understand that's a command for us? When Jesus commands me to go and make disciples, he's calling me out of my sin so that I can go and call others out of their sin. Does that mean that we're going to live sin-free lives? No. Does that mean you're never going to make a mistake? No, that's not what that means. We are all prone to sin, we're all prone to fall, we're all prone to fail, and we do it all the time. The difference is, am I justifying my failures? Am I justifying my falling? Am I justifying my sinfulness? Am I calling evil good? If we're followers of Jesus and we know the truth, we're not going to do that. We're going to call sin what it is, and we're going to trust in the grace of God that has taken away our sin in Jesus. So, in order for us to go out and to make disciples, we need to know what sin is. And the Bible will help us if we're brave enough to read it and to trust it. Because we can never know our salvation until we know our sin. You'll never know what it means to be saved until you know what it means to be a sinner. And if you have no consciousness of sin, if you, if you think there is no sin and everything is all right, and in the end, God's just going to save everybody because that's who he is, and it doesn't matter what anybody does, we really don't believe that. We say that, but we really don't believe that. Because I could name some names. I could go to the to the person who believes that most stridently. And I could, I could name off a few names of people in history, and they would say, well, 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 no, probably not him. Well, no, probably not them. Why? Well, because they were horrible, horrible human beings that did horrible, horrible things. So there's a few exceptions. No, that's not the way it works. If we're going to believe in universal salvation, then it's got to be universal. If we're going to have a few exceptions, then there's probably a lot more exceptions than we are thinking of. So we need to know what sin is, because if we don't know what sin is, we don't know what salvation is. Number two, we we must be willing to call sin, sin. And here's where too many Christians have bought into the sinful mentality of the world. Many are deceived, listen to me church, many are deceived into believing that calling sin evil and then calling people out of their sin is somehow unloving. Calling sin, sin, and calling people out of their sin is what Jesus does. Jesus not only calls people out of sin, he gave the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit was given to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. John sixteen eight. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit was given to make Christ known and to make us bold witnesses for his glory. That's what Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8. Go and wait in Jerusalem. And when the Spirit of God has come upon you, you will be endued with power from on high, power to be witnesses to me in Judea, Samaria, and all the uttermost parts of the world. So we need to pray for and we need to seek the boldness of God 
to speak his word in the power of his spirit. This is what the disciples in Acts 24, 29 through 31. This is exactly what we see the early church and the disciples doing after they came back from a bold witness and they were threatened with, to, with death, basically. And they said, well, we can't kill them because we'd have a riot on our hands. They don't preach Jesus anymore. And they, they beat them and they punished them for preaching Jesus. What did they do? They go back to the other disciples. They have a prayer meeting and they say, God, give us boldness. Grant us and fill us that we would speak your word with boldness. And it said when they finished praying, the place where they were was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness. As the church, we need to pray for and we need to seek boldness to speak the word of God and the power of his spirit. We must love God enough to risk the hatred of of the world. Did you hear me, church? We need to love God enough to risk being hated by the world. We don't set out to make anyone hate us, but Jesus was very clear that as we stand for the truth, the world will hate us, not because of us, but because of him. Matthew chapter 10. Let's go there. Let me read this scripture to you. Matthew 10, 21. <clears throat> Don't take my words for it. Take the word of Jesus. Because the word of Jesus applies to us today. Matthew 10, 21. Now brother will deliver up brother to death and father, his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And when, the pers- when they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called me, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Whose household do you belong to? You belong to the household of God. You are the household of Christ. This is what the writer of Hebrews teaches us. Therefore, do not fear him, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Now, I know what some people would say. Well, Jesus was talking in the context of his day to his disciples in that day. Yes, he was. But he was not limiting that truth to those people in that day. How do we know that? Because this is what we've seen happen throughout the history of the faith and throughout the history of the church. It wasn't just Peter, James, and John and the other disciples that were killed, that were persecuted. The church from the very beginning has been killed, has been persecuted, 
has been pressed against, has been attacked from the governing authorities, from the powers of this world that want to stamp out faith, that want to stamp out the worship of the true and living God. And because we've lived in a nation now for 230 some odd years, I think that's right. How many years have we lived here? We're not 250 years old yet as a nation. Because we've lived in a nation now that has been friendly to the gospel. That was, I believe, and I think you have to be blind to not believe this, that was founded on the gospel, that was founded on godly principles. Because we've lived in this nation, it has been friendly to us, it has been um, welcoming of this, based its constitutions and its rules of governance on godly principles. Because we've been very blessed with minimal opposition. You know what most of our opposition is? It's, it's just worried about whether people are going to think we're cool or not. Well, if I'm a believer, if I'm living for Jesus, then they're not going to believe I'm cool. My friends won't think I'm cool. The culture won't think I'm cool because I got to sing this and I got to say this and I've got to do this and I've got to watch this to fit into the culture. So the vast majority of the time, our persecution has been more about the way people perceive us than it has been real persecution. So now we've got bakers who have been fined $135,000 because they wouldn't bake a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. They've been driven out of business, and they've been forbidden to even talk about it. What happened to the First Amendment? I don't know. What happened to religious freedom? I'm not sure. Where did that happen? In Russia? In China? No, that happened in the state of Oregon. It's happening right now in America. You think that's just an anomaly? You think that's just the end? You think more of that's not going to happen? I promise you. You go back and you read the Supreme Court decision from Friday. If you don't believe more of that is not going to happen, you are deluded and deceived. And if talking about this makes you uncomfortable, you need to get delivered and you need to get your eyes open and you need to understand what's happening and what God has called us to and what God has called us from. Because one way or the other, we're going to give a witness. We're going to give it by compromising, by caving, or we're going to give it by standing. And if we stand, we may experience persecution at levels that we've never known before in our nation. You think that's not possible? Why would you think that's not possible? Look at the very nation that God chose. Look at Israel. Look at Israel's history. This is why God recorded it in the Bible for us. Do you know how long Israel's history is? Much more than 250 years. Look at other kingdoms recorded in the scripture. We don't think that we cannot go the same way. Because why? Because we're America? The same sin that brought down Israel, the same sin that brought down Babylon, the same sin that brought down Persia, the same sin that brought down Greece, the same sin that brought down Rome, the same sin that brings every other nation and every person down is the same sin that is working right now in the hearts of men throughout this land. And God has put the church in the earth to be salt and to be light. 
Jesus himself said, if the salt loses its flavor, what good is it? If the church can't stand for truth, if the church can't speak for truth, if the church can't risk its reputation, if we're so worried about our perception, how people perceive us, whether we're going to be accepted or not accepted, we've got a problem. So we need to love God more uh, enough to risk the hatred of the world. We're not called to love and to be conformed to the world, but to be conformed to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Don't, don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. John writes and he says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. If you're more worried about the, what the world thinks about you than what God thinks about you, John says the love of the Father is not in you. Those are serious warnings from Scripture. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Those are the words of Scripture recorded in 1 John 2.15-17. through 17. So we need to know what sin is. We need to be willing to call sin, sin. We need to love God enough to risk the hatred of the world. But we must love people enough to risk the hatred of the people that we seek to love. Do you love someone enough to tell them a truth, even when you know they're going to have a hard time receiving the truth? Or do you shrink back and say, well, I don't want to offend them. Because if I offend them, then, then they, may, they may never listen to anything I have to say. Well, when are you going to speak up? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How is the world going to hear the word of God if the people of God don't declare the word of God? You notice the world's not beating our doors down to get inside to hear me preach this morning. You guys notice that about churches? The world is not breaking down the doors of the church to get inside to hear the preachers preach the gospel. The world is at the lake this morning. The world is recovering from their hangovers last night. The world stayed up late watching fireworks and they're sleeping in this morning because that's what you do on Sunday. Because that's what the world does. So when are we going to go into the world and declare the gospel to the world? Sunday morning inside these four walls was never meant to be a place that we would declare the gospel to the world. We're declaring it to the world by declaring it to you, but I'm declaring it to you so that you're equipped to go out and speak it and live it and demonstrate it to the world. That means you're going to have to open your mouth and call sin, sin sometimes. You're going to have to open your mouth and call people out of sin sometimes. And they might not like it. They may disagree with you. But if they don't hear the truth, if you don't open your mouth and let the truth come out, let the gospel come out, then the Spirit of God, how is He going to work? in their hearts, if you don't plant the seed of the word into their heart through their ears. You get it? How does the word go into someone's heart? It's either going to go in through their ear gate or through their eye gate. Or both. You love people enough to risk the hatred of the very people you seek to love? Jesus made it clear if we stand up for the truth, as we love men enough to tell them the truth, <clears throat> those men will hate us. 
Not because of us, but because of him. And they'll treat us like they have always treated God's mouthpieces. Let me read another scripture to you. Luke chapter 6, verse 22. Luke six twenty-two. Here is Jesus again talking to his disciples. <clears throat> Wait, is that right? <clears throat> No, that's not right. Hold on a second. Well, I can't find my scripture. But here's what Jesus said. He said, when you go out and you preach the truth, they're going to hate you. But he said, they're not going to hate you because of you. They're going to hate you for my namesake. And they're going to do the same thing to you that they did to the prophets. And Jesus said to those Pharisees standing around him, said, your father's stone the prophets. Your fathers killed the prophets. So what do we have? We have a history of God sending his prophets. Or let's just say this. We have a history of God sending his mouthpieces into the world to declare his truth. And those who hate the truth, you know what they do? They kill the mouthpiece. So God didn't just send his prophets. God sent his son. And when he sent his son into the world, Jesus gives this parable of the vineyard owner who sent his servants, they killed the servants. He sent more servants, they killed those servants. Finally, the vineyard owner said, surely I'll send my son and surely they'll respect my son. And Jesus says, the vineyard owner sent the son and they killed the son. And then he asked this question, what do you think should be done with the vineyard, the guys who did that? And they said, oh, he should send an army and kill him. Jesus said exactly what God's going to do to you. And then they became indignant and said they sought to kill Jesus. Why? Because those who hate the truth, when they hear the truth, always seek to kill the mouthpiece, speaking the truth. Listen, you are called to be mouthpieces of the truth. That means you're going to go out and you're going to speak the truth. You're going to live the truth. And those people who hate the truth, they're going to hate you. This is exactly what Jesus told his disciples. He warned them about this. When your faith begins to convict others, when your obedience to God begins to bring judgment to those around us, we always say this, don't judge me. Listen, your life is going to be judgment on those around you. Your obedience is going to be judgment of their disobedience. That, that can happen without you saying a word. And they're still going to feel the condemnation and the conviction in their heart. Why? Because the truth is what's convicting them. The truth is what condemns them. Jesus said, I didn't send my son into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was already under condemnation. Listen, the world is under condemnation because the truth has condemned us. God, we have rejected God when we do that. We did that back in the garden. And we came under condemnation. 
that condemnation is not lifted anywhere except in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are still under condemnation. That's why Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ. That's not a statement of universal, no more condemnation. You can go and live any way you want, do anything you want, because God's not condemning anybody anymore. That's not what, that's what the world believes. That's the false gospel that many are preaching and teaching, but that's not what the gospel preaches and teaches us. Why am I telling you this here today? Because you are living in a world that is trying to convince you. You're living in a world that's making decisions based on falsehoods instead of truth. And if you are carriers of the truth, you need to know how to communicate that truth. You need to know why you believe what you believe. You need to know what the truth is. And so when we begin to go out and live the truth, be witnesses to the truth, the world is going to hate us. They're going to seek to destroy our faith. If they cannot destroy our faith or contain our witness, they will eventually seek to destroy us. They will destroy us through character assassination or any other means. They will call us evil and unloving because we do not accept their sin and that in the things that they call love or good. Americans are not unique in calling evil good and good evil. That is the sinful nature of man. So you understand this church that sin knows no national boundary. Sin has no national allegiance. Sin does not respect any person This is the nature of sin and death. Sin cuts across cultures and borders, and the enemy will use sin to destroy faith whenever and wherever he can. Inside the church, outside the church, in our halls of government, in the halls of your home, in the rooms and the chambers of your heart. So we need to love people enough to risk the hatred of people that we're seeking to love. We need to love enough to die. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and he laid his life down. That's what his love did. We're called to lay down our life. That is true figuratively as well as literally if necessary. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'll just be honest with you. I do not believe that I will ever have to lay down my life literally in America because of my faith. I don't think I'll live long enough to see that day. I could be wrong. But I don't think I'm going to live in an America where our government makes faith in Jesus punishable by death. But I could name if you this is why history is important we could go through history and name nations who didn't think they would ever see that day either i can't say that with certainty when i consider my grandchildren or my great grandchildren this is the importance of us living with a long view. 
If you're just biding your time waiting for Jesus, hoping the rapture is going to take place uh, after lunch today, and that we don't have to worry about all this, this is the error that the church has entered into over the last couple of hundred years. We've bought into this escapism mentality, thinking that we're going to just all be ushered out of here and we're not going to have to deal with any of this. But you won't find that reality anywhere in Scripture either. What you find in Scripture is that the people of God have had to endure persecution, have had to endure hardship. They're still having to endure it today. Somehow we just think because we're Americans, we're going to somehow get off scot-free and we're not going to have to mess with any of that. So we embrace this theology in America that makes us look forward to our escape instead of being stepping stones to build a legacy of faith to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. What kind of nation are you building and preparing for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren? That's what we should be asking ourselves. The stand you take for truth today is going to determine what kind of America your grandchildren and great-grandchildren will live in. The way you cave in to pressure today is going to determine what kind of nation your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are going to have to live in one day. Are we willing to lay down our life, whether that's figuratively or literally? We must stand for truth now. We must stand in love now. We must open our mouths and boldly speak the truth in love now. We must open our hearts and seek God now. We cannot be certain of what sin will do to the nation we call America. But here's what we can be certain of. We can be certain of what sin wants to do to our nation. The question is, will there be salt and will there be light to oppose what sin wants to do to our nation? We must never use love as an excuse to remain silent. Love is never an excuse to keep silent when a bold witness for truth is called for. Are you listening to me, church? Love is never an excuse to be malicious toward others. Love is never a justification to hold God's truth in silent surrender because others use God's truth as a justification to hate. Well, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want people to think I'm like those Westboro Baptist church people. So I'm just going to not say anything. I'm just going to pray for them instead and be a silent witness. Find that in the Bible for me. Find that in the Bible for me where Jesus tells us to just stand by and be a silent witness. Find that for me. There is a time to do that. But what you're going to find more in the Bible is God telling you, don't fear those who have the power to kill your body. Go out there and stand up for the truth. And if you died because of your stand for the truth, know this, that not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Why did Jesus say that when he told them not to fear those who can kill your body? 
because he was telling them, some of you guys are going to die. You're going to die because of your witness for the truth. But know this, if you die because of your witness for the truth, it was the Father's will. Not even a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. How can you, as a witness to the true gospel of Jesus Christ, be martyred for your faith and die and it not be the Father's will? That is exactly what Jesus was telling his disciples. Why do we believe that can't apply to us today? Yet it applies to people right now today in the Middle East getting their heads cut off for their witness for Jesus. It applies all over the world. It applies right here. You might not have to literally lay down your life, but are you figuratively ready to lay down your life, lay down your reputation, lay down what the way other people look at you? Well, I thought you were more tolerant than that. The question is, what are you, Christian, willing to tolerate? Are you willing to tolerate people going to hell? Why are we more willing to tolerate that than to appear to be intolerant by calling sin, sin, and by giving a witness when a witness is called for? Love is not an excuse to surrender in silence. It's just the opposite. Love is the very reason we cannot keep silent. Love compels us to be bold. In Christ, we know what love is. We, what love sounds like. What love looks like. And you know that love does not compromise truth. Love does not whitewash sin. Love boldly speaks. Love boldly lives the truth just like Jesus did. Because Jesus was the very personification of love and truth. And if we are to be Christ to the world around us, then we too need to be a personification of love and truth. And love will never remain silent. Because our silence could cost someone their life. But you don't know whether you're that witness that God will use. Jesus offended men. He was called a stumbling block. And Jesus said, it's better for men to fall upon the rock than to have the rock fall upon them. You're not better than Jesus. If Jesus can be a stumbling block, it's okay for you to be a stumbling block. I didn't say for you to throw rocks. I said, though, sometimes your life will cause men to stumble. And if they stumble and fall upon the rock, that's a good thing. Because they may cry out to God in his grace and his mercy and be saved. We're called to change our clothes. We're called to do exactly what Jacob commanded his household to do. Jacob said to them, purify, put away your idols, purify yourself and put on new clothes. We're called to put away our idols. Do you know that your safety and your security and your perception of how people think of you, your desire to have acceptance, do you know that can become idolatry in your life? 
And if you're more worried about what people think about you than what God thinks about you, that's an idol you need to cast away. Because it's causing you to remain silent. It's causing you to be immobile and not do what God has commanded you to do. We're called to come out of our defilement and to purify ourselves. Now, only Christ can purify us. And he, purifi- he purifies us by his blood through faith in the finished work of the cross. But that doesn't mean that we are no less called to separate ourselves from those things that defile us. Just because I'm saved by the blood of Jesus, I don't now have a license to continue living a sinful lifestyle. That sinful lifestyle should convict me. If I'm struggling with sin, there should be a conviction there by the Holy Spirit. And if you're struggling with sin and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit, that's a good sign that God is working in you. But just because he's graceful doesn't mean that you can just stay in that place. No, he calls you out of your defilement. We have to put our trust in the purifying work of Christ. And if we've done that, why would we desire to remain in the mud? It doesn't mean we won't struggle. It doesn't mean that we won't fall. But it does mean that the struggles and the failures are no longer excuses to stay in our defilement. God has made a way of escape for us in Christ Jesus. And so we need to take that way of escape. We can't, in reality, be clean while we continue to live in the mud. Does that make sense? We're called to change our clothes. Jacob told his household, change your clothes. Put on those things that mark our renewal. We're commanded to come out of the old and into the new, out of our idolatry, out of our defilement, and into his purity. We're not to stand in the mud and argue that our clothes are clean and that the mud is not dirty. When we stand in sin, when we live in sin and argue that our sin is not sin, it's like standing in the mud and arguing that our clothes are clean and the mud is not dirty. Of course your clothes are not clean because you're in the mud. Of course the mud is dirty because it's dirt. Of course sin is sinful. Why? Because it's sin, not because a Supreme Court or a group of people don't call it sin, don't think it's sin, we don't get to define those things. God has already defined those things. So go back to his word and find out what he calls mud and what he doesn't. And if you're in the mud, get out of the mud. How are you going to get out? Well, here's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and 14 says. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There is a way of escape out of sin, and that way is faith in Christ. So he says, flee from your idolatry. Flee from your defilement. Flee from the old and flee into the new. Run to the cross. Run to life. Run to Jesus. 
and live. That finished work of the cross, your purification, your way out of defilement, that is applied to your life through faith in the finished work. But when you profess that faith, then you come out of that. You don't live in that any longer. And if you fall down trying to come out, that's fine. Hopefully there will be those around you that will pick you up. So our outward manifestation should mark our inward transformation. You can in your own time read Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 15. Paul literally tells us it's like putting on a new garment. You put off the old and you put on the new. Or he says it like this in Romans. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill it in its lust. Or in Ephesians 4, 17, He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, and that you put on the new man. So we're to put off the old and we're to put on the new. You have no way in yourself to obtain those clean clothes. You have no way in yourself to obtain that new conduct. It is God in his grace that has provided this for you in Jesus Christ. And by his grace, he now gives you the ability to put off the old and to put on the new. And by his grace, you can walk in the newness that was provided to you in Jesus Christ. And by his grace, through faith, you have been made one with Christ in his righteousness and holiness and given power to work and to walk in that life. It doesn't make sense to stand in the mud and call yourself clean. Get out of the mud. The old man has been put away. Christ did that by the grace of his cross. And you and I must put off the former conduct of the old man and put on the new conduct of the new man who is Christ. The old man is gone, but his memory remains. And this is why the Bible says, you must renew your mind to the truth because your memories are old and your memories are corrupt and your mind is used to thinking in corrupt ways and reasoning in corrupt and unfaithful ways. This is what the world does. It reasons unfaithfully. The children of God are called to reason faithfully. That means we don't reason like the world does Two men who love each other and are in a committed lifestyle, it looks like love to me. No, it's not love. It looks like marriage to me. They stood before a pastor. They put a ring on their fingers. They ate a wedding cake. They had a ceremony. It looks like a marriage to me. No. We don't get to define marriage based on what we think. God's already defined it based on who he is. Does that mean we should be mean and hateful and spiteful? No, it doesn't. 
It means we should be loving. What does that mean? That means we should stand up and give a witness to the truth in love and risk hatred and risk rejection, but pray and hope and believe that the truth of the gospel will penetrate their hard hearts and they will come to know true love and true faith and true freedom. So Jesus calls us to love, and in that call to love, it's a call to action. Sin is a destroyer. Sin has destroyed and is destroying nations and lives everywhere today. But the church holds the solution to sin's destruction, and that solution is Jesus. And Jesus has commanded us to go and to make disciples of the nations. Jesus does not command us to stay, therefore, and make disciples in silent prayer. Jesus commands us to go, therefore, and make disciples by boldly teaching them all that he has commanded. Remember, go, baptize, teach. Those are actions that God commands us. Our commission is a call to love, and our call to love is a call to action. We're called to be a living example. We're called to teach with our life through the word, and through our deeds. You cannot make disciples if you will not go out and speak up and take them by the hand and lead them out of sin and into the truth. It's understood that most will offer resistance. We know that. We offered resistance. We offer resistance as natural children and as spiritual children. But in love, our fathers and our mothers did not turn away and give up. We are called to press on and to endure in love and in action. Stand for truth. Stand in love. Stand rejoicing. Stand in joy. Stand boldly. Stand in peace. Be a disciple that stands and boldly demonstrates true life, true love, true joy, true peace, and true faith. Let us be disciples that are turning an upside-down world right side up. They said, here come those who have turned the world upside down. The reality is the world was already upside down. Sin had turned the world upside down. What the church is called to do is to go out and turn what is already upside down right side up. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So let's stand. I'm going to pray uh, and I'm going to dismiss us. We'll pray for our meal next door as well and then you can just go right on over and Find a seat, and uh, everything should be ready for you. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, we live in a world that is trying to redefine truth and redefine everything that is true. God, we have been called as a people to stand firm, to stand firm in the truth, to oppose those forces that would try to destroy or redefine what is true. We ask, God, that you would, in your grace, empower us. Give us grace to stand, God. Give us the strength to steadfastly resist the advances of the enemy. 
Lord, help us, even as we read today from Paul's epistle to the Galatians, help us to be a people that does not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Christianity is a religion, it's a faith of death and resurrection. Christianity has died many times, but it has always been resurrected by the power of God. Christians throughout history have faced much worse than what we face right now in America. Let us take strength and hope from their struggle. Let us take faith from the fact that you have never allowed your church and true faith to be stamped out. But you have consistently brought resurrection life back into her. Father, help us to see these days that we live in. Not as dark days, but as hopeful days. Days filled with hope and filled with light. That, Lord, we are getting ready to see the supernatural hand of God move within and throughout and on behalf of the church of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be a people standing ready to be a part of that move. Help us to be a people standing in faith. In Jesus' name. Amen.